Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. Cole. Heavenly sunshine to you, my. You know what we do? We sing through once, and as we sing through the first time, we turn around, shake hands with as many as possible. A large number of first timers here today, so all together on Heavenly Sunshine.
The fight is on, O Christian soldier, and face to face in stern array. With armor gleaming and color streaming, the right and wrong engage today. The fight is on, but be not weary, be strong and in his might all pass. If God be for us, his banner o'er us, we'll sing the victor song at last. The Lord is leading on to certain victory, the bow of promise spans the eastern sky. His glorious name in every land shall honor be, the morn will break, the dawn of peace is nigh. The fight is on, O Christian soldier, and face to face in stern array. With armor gleaming and color streaming, the right and wrong engage today. The fight is on, but be not weary, be strong and in his might hold fast. If God be for us, his banner o'er us, we'll sing the victor's song at last. Savior, lead me lest I
Dear Mr. Fuller, I thought you might be interested to know that Sunday evening about 7.30 o'clock, a man drove up in front of our Baptist church here and was sitting in his car, weeping. The pastor and one of the young men of the church came along, saw him, and asked if they could be of any help to him. He told them he'd been listening to the old-fashioned revival hour, and he felt such a deep sense of sin and under such conviction that he wanted to find God and be released from the awful weight of sin. They stopped and dealt with him. He surrendered to the Lord Jesus and went on his way, rejoicing. From Tucson, Arizona, a letter from a lady. I have been alone here on the desert and ill for months. Believe me when I say that hearing your program has helped me more than my words could ever say. I am enclosing a small amount to help carry on your work. It is not much but it may help a little to help someone else like your words over the air have helped me. And then the next letter is from Dear Reverend Fuller from the Midwest. We live on a farm here in Nebraska, and my husband and I are both past 60. We have had much sorrow in our life together because we lost three of our four children and have had to farm poor ground all these years and try to make a living. I was a schoolteacher before I was married and was converted when 12 years old. Life has been very hard for my husband, but for me it has been different because I have known the love of God and the comfort of prayer through all the hard times. God has been my strength and my friend. My husband, a good man, has always wanted to push God out of his life and try to carry on for himself, and I have always prayed for him. After our son got us a radio, we have listened to your program for a long time. I could see my husband changing as the Holy Spirit worked. 
Finally, one night in February, when you gave the invitation, he lifted his hand as we sat together by the stove, and with tears he said, Accept me as a sinner, Lord Jesus. I have been so stubborn, and I thank you for your love, and I turn my life over to you. Since then, I have seen him grow, and no one will ever know the joy that is in my heart. Our son is a Christian, too, and now we are all in the fold. Radio is so wonderful to reach people in their homes. And that is all I shall have time for today, friend.
God sent Moses on the mountain top. on your song sheet, two verses, the first and second of Faith of Our Fathers Living Still. Father, we thank Thee that we're permitted to, to contend for the faith, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. And we thank Thee that though many are the afflictions of the righteous, that Thou wilt deliver the righteous from them all. For Thou hast promised never to leave us and to never forsake us, but to be by our side as we walk the wilderness journey. Now to the souls in darkness, may the light of the glorious gospel come in, and may they turn to Jesus, the light of the world, and be saved today, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In the desert, my shield from the blast 
Under the shadow I'm hiding at last. Here is thy refuge and welcome to me. Rock in the desert, my soul flies to thee. My soul flies to thee, my soul flies to thee. My soul flies to thee, my soul flies to thee. Rock in the desert, rock in the desert, rock in the desert, my soul flies to
Listening to the Old Fashioned Revival Hour coming to you from the Municipal Auditorium at Long Beach, California. This is Charles E. Fuller speaking. Have your Bibles open, please, to the twelfth chapter of Genesis, and be ready for the message on Abraham, the obedience of faith. Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness. Sowing in the noontide and the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, fearing neither clouds nor winter's chilling breeze. By and by the harvest and the labor ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Going forth with weeping, sowing for the master. Though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Today we're speaking upon Abraham, the obedience of faith. And with your Bibles open to the twelfth chapter of Genesis, may you give careful attention as we read a portion of it in a few moments. The book of Genesis has fifty chapters. Three-fourths of these fifty chapters narrate the lives of Abraham and the first three generations following him. God devotes much time of his precious word to his friend Abraham and to his descendants. It is interesting, considered from the standpoint of time, that the first eleven chapters of Genesis cover a period of approximately two thousand years. After the flood of Noah's time, and from Abraham down to the end of the book, 
better still from Abraham down to the end, about 400 years, chapters 12 to 50, but in between Noah and Abraham another 400 years. And after the flood of Noah's time, it must have been a period of abounding immigration or surging waves of men pressed by hunger, love of conquest spread outwards over the world from a common starting point. Of Noah's three sons, the sons of Japheth, pushed northward from their place of birth to colonize Europe and Asia and to lay the foundations of the great Indo-European family. The sons of Ham pushed southward over the fertile plains of Chaldea, so beautifully watered by the river Euphrates and the river Tigris, and there they built great cities of baked clay, reared great religious temples, cultivated the arts of civilized life to an extent unknown elsewhere. They became very proficient in the realm of mathematics, astronomy, in weaving, metalwork, and gem engraving. Into the midst of this Hamite colonization came a family of the sons of Shem, and under the leadership of Terah, the father of Abraham, settled down on the rich pasture land outside of the city of Ur of Chaldee, located then at the mouth of the river Euphrates, but now the old site is about a hundred miles from the seashore at the northern edge of the Persian Gulf. Terani's sons were shepherds, keepers of herds of sheep. The walled, prosperous, and extremely wicked city such as the Ur of Chaldees, with its abounding civilized arts, merchandising, and marine activities, and its sun-worshipping and idolatry, was shunned by Terah and his sons. They lived in tents, and according to Genesis 9.26, their religious life was sweeter and purer than those of the inhabitants round about them. Amid such scenes, Abram, later called Abraham, was born. And if the traditions of the East can be relied upon, when Abraham came to young manhood, he lived in an uncompromising opposition to the abounding evil practices about him. He broke helpless images. He refused to bow before the religious strange fire, even though bidden to do so by the powerful monarch then ruling. And with this background, I'd like to have you notice now Genesis 1 to 3, 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of earth be blessed. Now it's interesting to note 
at the first appearance on the part of the God of glory, appearing to Abraham, God gave him a command, Get thee out of thy country. When the Lord appeared the second time to Abraham, here in the seventh verse, the Lord gave him a promise, and then follows a severe trial of his faith, twofold in character, a famine in the land. He goes down to Egypt, second strife between the herdsmen, that is, Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen that Lot had. And so, I just want to take up briefly today, as time permits, the first command, the second, the promise, and if time does permit, something on the trial of his faith. And so may we meditate today upon the Lord's first appearance. He appeared to Abraham seven times, as recorded in Genesis. And after the first appearance, a command, the second appearance, a promise, the trial of his faith. The third appearance, a command, the fourth appearance, a promise, and the trial of his faith. Don't tell me that this Bible isn't inspired. Simply you don't dig into it to find some of the riches that God has for us. In connection with Genesis 12, I want to read just briefly from the seventh chapter of Acts. You don't need to turn to it. When Stephen, the first martyr, was recounting the history of his ancestors, we read these words, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein he now dwelt. The God of glory appeared to Abram, later called Abraham. And the title, God of glory, appears just one other time in the scriptures. And that is in the 29th Psalm, where it says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. It's a name applied to Jehovah, who is above every king, far above principalities and powers and mights. I don't know just how he appeared to Abram, but the God of glory appeared to this young man down in the earth of Chaldees, surrounded by idolatry and practices of the sins of the flesh that was causing the nation to go down. And so amidst that scene of the sinful people of Chaldea 40 centuries ago, the God of glory appeared 
And we read in Hebrews 11th chapter, verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, obeyed. And we have the obedience of faith. Now, Genesis 12, 1, will you notice? This refers back to the 11th chapter of Genesis, verse 31 and, and verse 32. For notice the wording. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, past tense. You go back to the 11th chapter. You find these words in the 31st verse. And Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his wife-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from the Ur of Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came under Haran and dwelt there. Oh, how rich this is. Can't you see the group leaving this wicked city? going up the riverbed or the valley caused by the erosion of the river Euphrates, going up the fertile plains with their household goods, and then coming to Haran, the crossroads of the caravans, for they stopped there before going west across the desolate, desolate desert to Palestine. Now God told him, Get thee out of thy country into a land I will show thee, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. And we have partial obedience. And when he came to Haran, listen, the word means part, and the word Terah means delay. And he delayed going into the land, at least five, perhaps fifteen years. And while he stayed in Haran, not fully obedient to God's word, he had a part experience. No revelation. No voice from the God of glory. And those years spent at Haran were wasted years. Reminds me of the children of Israel coming out from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, coming up to Kadesh Barnea, looking over into the land that God had promised them. They refused through unbelief that we'll not go in and possess the land. Now, mind you, for 38 and a half years, hardly a record of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. Lost time. Because they did not obey God's voice. Lost years. And yet when you come to Hebrew, the 11th chapter, verse 8, nothing is said about Abram's failure. His sin of disobedience had been blotted out through the long suffering and mercy of God. Now Abram stayed in Haran until his father Terah died. So death broke the link that bound Abram to Haran of Park's place. And so Paul, after the God of glory appeared to him as he journeyed on the road to Damascus, later wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as follows. Listen. 
God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And I put it right up to you, professing believer. Have you been crucified with Christ dead to the world? Can you say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave a true believer that has the witness of the Spirit in his heart is one who is dead to self. You don't hear much of that teaching. I think there's too much intellectual belief as to Jesus being the Son of God. Yes, I believe in my head. But the Bible says, if thou shalt believe in thy heart, and that goes to the very center of your being, believe that Jesus died and rose again, and confess with the mouth the Lord, Jesus, thou shalt be saved. So when Terah died, Abram went forth. Death broke the link which bound Abram to Haran. And God's command is, Love not the world, neither the things that are in this world system. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now listen carefully. The world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. Not my words, but God's word. Just getting started on this. Notice the fourth verse of chapter 12, and I'll bring it to a close in a very few moments and continue next Lord's Day, Lord willing. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah's wife and Lot his brother. He didn't clean cut from his kindred as God told him to. Now, will you notice, even in spite of that, verse 6, and I may have to close with that, Abram passed through the land under the place of Shechem, under the plains of Morah. What does it mean? Shechem means a shoulder, a place of strength. He left Haran and came to Shechem, a shoulder for upon his shoulders. God's word says that the government shall rest. It's a place of strength. When the Lord went out to get the little sheep that was left by the wayside, the one out of the hundred, he took the little sheep that was lost and placed it upon his shoulder. So that was a place of strength. He left Tara to come to a place to be strong. What does Mora mean? Well, it means instruction. 
And I want to say this, after years of walking with God, you'll never have instruction from the Word until you come apart and be separate and come to the place of strength through His Word and being strong in the Lord. Then He will guide you. Well, we have the second appearance, and I'll just touch upon it in verse 7. So much, it's so rich. Verse 7, And the Lord appeared, this is the second appearance, unto Abram and said, now notice what he promised, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And what did he do? There he built an altar unto the Lord. What does an altar mean? A place where the little spotless lamb without blemish and without spot, was slain. The blood was applied, and Abram, back in the early century, knew that the only basis of reconciliation to God was on the basis of the death of an innocent substitute. And that if he were to walk in the light, as he walked in the light, he would have fellowship, and the blood would cleanse. Oh, how rich God's word is. Giving him a promise unto thy seed. An altar, no altar in Haran, very parched land, but now separated an altar. Let me read verse 8. And he removed from thence unto a mountain, became a child of the heavenly calling, on the east of Bethel, the house of God, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai, a heap of ruins, on the east. And there he built an altar. And Abram, walking by faith, the obedience to faith, became a heavenly citizen. The house of God there the earth, a heap of ruin. Where are you today? Are you out in the world, taken up with the things of the world? Or are you a pilgrim and a stranger, living like Abram in a tent, sojourning the obedience of faith, walking in the light as God is in the light? Let's bow our heads in prayer. You pray with me, please, your visible audience and friends in Radio Land, as I just speak to the unsaved. God gives you a command, he says, repent. Except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Won't you kneel and give your heart to the Lord? Do it today. God bless you. And as we bring the old-fashioned revival hour to a close with our heads bowed, just as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, how many here will put their hand up and say, Brother Fuller, pray for me. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and become a child of God through faith in Him. I'd like to be remembered in a word of prayer. Will you put your hand up? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sailor boy. God bless you, lady. On the lower floor, just as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, He's calling you, saying, Come unto me. God bless you. 
Come on to me, all laboring, heavy laden. I'll give you a rest. Anyone else, just put your hand up on the lower floor here and say, pray for me. There's another hand to go up. Say, Brother Fuller, God bless you. I'm so glad I waited up in the balconies to my right. Anyone up there, as God speaks to you, not through any word of mine, but the word of God in the balconies to the rear, balconies to the left, anyone there, put your hand up and say, pray for me. I want to accept Christ as my personal Savior and like to be remembered in prayer. Anyone else, any place, just as the Holy Spirit speaks to you before we leave the old-fashioned revival hour. Is there another? God bless you. Continue in prayer. This is Charles E. Fuller speaking, bidding you goodbye and trusting but God's grace to be with you next Lord's Day. Every soul by sea.